good day to you, brothers, sisters, friends, and new faces. Welcome to Current Events and Christian Expectations. And today we're going to talk about erasing history. In this podcast, we'll discuss the theme of disruption and dismantling of things of the past. Today we'll lead off with Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3. And as usual, we'll have several other scriptures that we'll reference and read today, and we'll put those in the overview. We'd like to remind you that all of you can reach us today directly via email with your requests for questions or comments, and we'll have a way to do that at the end of the podcast. So with removal of the past as our current event of the day, let's just dig right in. Right. The current event that we're looking at is actually a series of events over the last couple of years with riots galore and the theme of disrupt and dismantle, the remembrance of things past. And people wanted to get rid of and did Thomas Jefferson statue, Teddy Roosevelt, that one still somewhat escapes me. Uh, in 2017, the news, the mainstream media, uh, media, legacy media, was saying that it wouldn't come to this, the destruction, but it has. Then we have now the 1619 Project. Uh, this is reference to August 20th, 1619, the day 20 enslaved Africans first arrived on Virginia soil. And this is a new thesis on how to erase history uh, come up with by... Um, Nicole Hannah Jones, and it's a way of looking at the history of uh, America through one lens alone, that of racism. Mm. And in my estimation, others, it overlooks all the good that has been done since that uh, unfortunate beginning of slavery in the country. Likewise, the Chinese Communist Party, uh, just recently, they got around to removing the uh, Tiananmen Square sculpture in Hong Kong, uh, celebrating democracy because... China and communism, not too, not too, uh, not happy. too well known for that. Yeah, yeah, not not happy with that. And of course, the old Soviet Union was famous for erasing history and establishing a a new history, a fiction to live by. And this has been done throughout history. The pharaohs of old, they didn't like the previous pharaoh. They erased all his monuments, tore them down, got rid of all the documents, etc. So this is not new. Now we want to make it clear: this is not about the legitimate destruction of evil places that could be exploited for evil. Uh, Randy has a good story to tell us. Yeah, when I was in uh, the Army in, in Germany in the 1990s, had the privilege to travel around and see quite a few places. We went to Berchtesgarden, Germany, where uh, Hitler's eagle's nest was. It was also the place where the homes of the Nazi leaders, uh, top Nazi leaders, were located as well. And uh, And in the 1960s, the, the country, the government, uh, had the ruins of some of those places as well as some of those places themselves destroyed so that they could not be used for uh, venerating uh, an evil person for their evil deeds. In fact, uh, my wife and I, we were, we were at the, uh, a very posh lodge there that was a part of the Army Morale, Welfare, and Recreation, and uh, we went on a little walk and we found ourselves out in the woods on this little path and it went by this uh, this kind of half half standing um, uh, house, if you will, and we just kind of poked our head in and looked around, and there was graffiti like, you know, Americans go home and and uh, and Hitler lives, and I just thought it was unique. Well, found out later that that was actually Hitler's house mm. back in the woods, and wow. uh, yeah, so so we we've been to Hitler's house, and as destroyed as it was. It was still being venerated by by people, albeit with uh, with graffiti. Okay, that's exactly what we're talking about. Some things have to go. 
Yes. But what we're addressing <clears throat> in this podcast is the erasing of the past through distortion to justify a current political strategy, like the 1619 Project. What is the Christian expectation? It is this, from Genesis to Revelation. I found on all these podcasts, that, of course I knew before, but now it's, it's really coming home in a new way. Everything starts in Genesis. <laughs> And you can find an ending to it somewhere in Revelation. In the first nine chapters. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, from Genesis to Revelation, we are called to remember the good, the bad, and the ugly. So we, as individuals, or as nations, and nations are made up of individuals, we don't know who we are apart from our memory of who we were. Hmm. Time and time again, for instance, in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, six times at least by my count, probably more depending on how you phrase it, God says, Israel, remember, you were slaves in Egypt, and I freed you and brought you out. That's, that is emphasized time and time again. Remember, remember, remember. Here's a quote from George Santayana, and this may be familiar to a lot of our listeners. Uh, this is found in his um, book, The Life of Reason, Reason and Common Sense. Quote, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Mm. And of course, he is inclined toward the idea that the past is something bad we need to learn from in that quote. So individuals and nations do get forgetful, but when it's on purpose, tyranny follows. Mm. We need to remember things as they were is a major theme in the Bible. We remember them to embrace the future. Let's take a look at the first remembrance, and that is found in Genesis chapter 2, 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. The first holiday. Yeah, yeah, the first day off. First day off. Yeah. <laughs> it was a bank holiday, too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so... We find that right in the beginnings of our creation by God here in Genesis. And it's to be remembered. The Ten Commandments, of course, it is commandment number four. It is very interesting to point out, though, that in the Torah, uh, the book of Exodus refers to the Ten Commandments and gives us a reason why to remember. And then Deuteronomy does the same thing and gives us another reason to remember. And these two go together. Let's take a look at Exodus 20, 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Creation has a history. There's a before and an after. And that makes all the difference in the world as to how we look at the before and how we view the after. Remember this day to make it holy because it is a remembrance of this is a creation. It didn't evolve and we have a creator. We move to Deuteronomy, though, and we have this in Deuteronomy 5, verses 12 through 15. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. 
Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant, or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So creation has a history, and the history is about redemption. Before and after is about redemption. It's like a person who says, this is my before shot, and this is what I look like. <laughs> yeah, and now right. here's my after shot. I'm looking much better. You know, I've been changed. Acts 17, verses 26 through 27, reinforces, as Paul preaches to the intellectuals of his day, the fact that God is a creator, creation has a history, and it's about redemption. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. And there you go. So creation, redemption, and before and after, and the purpose is to seek God. So we come now to the second remembrance. Again, let us remember, remembering in the Bible is a big deal. The second remembrance is, of course, the rainbow. Genesis 9, 11 through 17. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Exactly. So the first two remembrances, the Sabbath and the promise. The Sabbath is about rest. It teaches us that work is not everything and that we must have that allotted time to worship God. And the rainbow mm. is the promise of relief. It's a great promise and he's kept it, and it's important because keeping this one means he'll keep all the others. And there certainly is enough water on planet Earth. We got 75% covered by water that a good shaking of the planet would cover everything up. Yeah. So God is the original promise keeper. But again, the rainbow is put there so we can remember before and after. And the before was because we were wicked. Mm. The after is because God is merciful. Then we come to one everybody's familiar with, the Passover. This is the uh, scripture from Exodus 12, 13, and 14. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Remember your deliverance people of Israel. God brought you out of Egypt, 
and brought you forth to a good land. Again, a calendar date specifically given to remember that event long past, but still has relevance in the present, and it's a guide to the future. Mm. Uh, aromas, smells of sacrifice are big as well as remembering things. Here's one from Exodus 29, 38 through 42. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs a year old, day by day regularly. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And with the first lamb a tenth measure of fine flour mingled with a fourth of hen of beaten oil, and a fourth of hen of wine for a drink offering. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight, and shall offer it with it a grain offering and its drink offering as in the morning, for a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet you to speak to you there. It's interesting, uh, it, the sense of smell yes, and how it brings back memories. Exactly. You know, uh, as I, I can remember both good and bad things. You know, when mm -hmm. you smell something, you're immediately mm -hmm. right back to that place. Yeah, and it's, it's, uh, it's strange how those things work as to uh, encouragement. I grew up in a country and where we were on the south um, part of the, of the pasture where Dad built a house and we lived there my first 18 years. Uh, there was a big hill behind us on top of which was Grandma and Grandpa Goble's house and then way beyond that was a farm by the Armin. The Armin people, there was their name, family name, and they had you know, like a bunch of bunches of acres, mm -hmm. big farm, and they would spread their manure every spring and that, that <laughs> aroma would come down over those hills and oddly enough, I liked it. I thought, wow, spring's coming. School's going to be yeah, out soon. Yeah. It's, it's, it's weird how certain smells can be comforting to some and revolting to others. Precisely, yeah. precisely. Um, the idea of sacrifice being a sweet-smelling aroma pleasing to God uh, has its uh, fulfillment in Jesus. Ephesians 5.2 And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Amen. Amen. Uh, those listeners who might be in high church know um, the aromas maybe even better because of the incense that is used so often in the uh, services. And I can't help but think maybe we miss something when we don't have some kind of uh, little flavor going on. I, mean, I pastored church once. Every Easter, everybody brought lilies in. Yeah. And so you had that aroma of uh, remembrance of what happened on Friday and the resurrection on Sunday. Yeah. There are also um, memorial stones. We find this in Crossing the Jordan, Joshua 4, 4 through 7. Then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children asked in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Right. Not just the Passover, but a remembrance of coming out. Uh, wilderness is over. Joshua's a new leader, and they went across the Jordan uh, in a way similar to the Red Sea being split mm. uh, when Moses led them. So again, it's important to remember events and celebrate them, remember them for the past deliverances and for encouragement for the future. When I was growing up, we were still doing carvings and trees. You mm. put your initials on a tree, 
or the heart, you know, if you had a girlfriend, things like that. So these are things that people do to make remembrances. Uh, landmarks and boundaries as well uh, are mentioned in the Old Testament. Here's one from Proverbs 23, 10 through 11. Do not move an ancient landmark or enter the fields of the fatherless, for their Redeemer is strong. He will plead their cause against you. Right. Property rights. Absolutely. So we have calendar dates, historic events, geographical remembrances, aromas, flavors, uh, all those kinds of things. The eating of the Passover would be another thing that would mm -hmm. go to your senses, taste. Um, the Ten Commandments. Let's take a look at this again. Deuteronomy 5, first couple of verses to see the importance of remembering who God is in reference to the Ten Commandments. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. So, the Big Ten began with reminding Israel who God is. You can't do the commandments apart from remembering God did this, mm. God gave this. Mm -hmm. And as G.K. Cheston says, people complain about the Ten Commandments, but he says, it's only ten things. Look at everything else you get to do. <laughs> Take a better perspective on it. Yeah. So learn these commands. Remember to do them. Remembering who God is helps our memory to do its job and move us on, push us on to action. And of course, as Christians, obviously the Lord's Supper, as Paul explains it in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 25. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Right. The betrayal of Judas is mentioned there, mm -hmm. as, as well as the sacrifice of Christ. All those things are historic events to be remembered as to how our Lord died for our sins. So remember... Why? Well, I remember, because spiritual amnesia is a deadly affliction. Mm. What does the Bible say about remembering and what to remember? Well, number one, we must not erase the Old Testament. Uh, a lot of well-known evangelicals in the last few decades uh, have been pushing this to get us unhitched from the Old Testament. But the Old Testament is the only Bible quoted in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. And the the uh, quotes make it clear that we are to hold on to the record of old because it's valuable to us who are sinners who've been redeemed. Listen to this from 1 Corinthians 10, 6 through 11. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Right. We're standing at the uh, dividing line between the ages past and the new ages to come when Christ returns, and we need the Old Testament to help us continue to persevere and do well. Here's another one that is also clearly advocating the Old Testament. Romans 15, 1 through 4. We who are strong have an obligation to bear the failings of the weak 
and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproachers of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. So, Old Testament, studying it, reading it, gives us encouragement, helps us to persevere, gives us endurance and hope, and the hope in the New Testament is, of course, Jesus and his return. Mm. Here's a, another quote. It's a uh, spin on the one we just read about those who uh, forget the past um, are bound to repeat it. This is from Errol Morris. Those who do not remember the past are condemned to repeat it without a sense of ironic futility. <laughs> For example, from the Old Testament, there was a guy named Jeroboam. This is after Israel split into two kingdoms, north and south. And Jeroboam took everybody on his uh, side that was with him to the north and set up uh, a competitive religion, mm. uh, unfortunately based on idolatry, and was bound to fail. This is from 1 Kings 12, 28 through 29. So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. And he said to the people, You have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. There you go. Got to have two, you know. <laughs> yes. That way, you know, you got two places to go. You got two places to go. Yeah. It's a lot easier. You don't have to make the trek to Jerusalem. That's right. Uh, so he, he erases the Exodus. He says, these are the gods that brought you out. No, it was the Lord God who brought them out. He erases Jerusalem. Forget Jerusalem. Forget the Lord and embrace these gods. Mm. Uh, ironic futility. Well, and then this, this later becomes, you know, the... Um, the Samaritans later, right? Yes, this, yep. this, this is a whole other subculture that begins to be disliked by the nation of Israel. Right. So um, he repeats the sins of originally of Israel, moving to idols in the wilderness and all of that. So remember, we who are in this country, citizens, our nation's sins. Um, and our nation is made up of a mixed multitude. It was in the beginning, and we still have a mixed multitude. But we must not erase the history of our country. We've got to remember what we've overcome. Erasing history is the fount of tyranny, and it's the lie of those wanting to run the show. Why is this? Because God alone gets to erase the history of people. Mm. Listen to these uh, three scriptures. Exodus 17, 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. There you go, the Amalekites. It's repeated again in Deuteronomy 25, 19. Therefore, when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies around you, in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven you shall not forget. Right, and we remember Babylon, we remember Rome, Greece, the Persians, but nobody talks about the Amalekites today. No, it's it's pretty well gone. done. Yeah. And they weren't the only ones. Psalm 9, 5 through 7. You have rebuked the nations, you have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice. There we go. God is the one who gets to determine who gets erased. Mm -hmm. And we must remember that. So we want to remember the bad of our histories. 
in our nations, as we will see also in our individual lives, but especially the good. The good is where we end up and where we want to dwell. So here is a good psychological, spiritual perspective on how to deal with our own individual past histories and moving on in the present to the future. Let's go down memory lane with Paul. Listen to him first in 1 Corinthians 15, 8 through 10. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Okay, Paul remembers his past, his sinful past, and he, he brings it up for the record. He's but not, it, but he's not defined by it. He's yeah. not defined yeah. by it. In yeah. fact, his understanding of grace is only possible because he knows where he was and where he is now. Got a new identity. Yes. Yeah. So he starts off, and this is chronological, by the way. Our sense of our sinfulness and plus the grace of God, each one should have a profound effect as we grow in the faith. Now we go to Ephesians 3.8. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Okay, he's the least of the apostles, boom. Now he says the least of the saints, which is the category of, you know, all the churches. Then we come to one of his references uh, in the last couple letters, uh, Timothy, and this is 1 Timothy, chapter 1, verses 15 through 16. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. There you go. Great passage. Without this historic personal memory, we cannot truly know who we are as individuals, as nations. And note this, Paul's concern, as well as ours should be, it's not what he did to others. Um, it's what he did to others, excuse me. It's what he did to others, not what they did to him. Mm. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 12, he mentions a lot of things that happened to him uh, from people, uh, his many imprisonments, uh, countless beatings, he says. And, he got beat up. Yeah. Um, he was often near death, his words. Five times, he says, I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. So, but he doesn't dwell on that. Uh, bad things happen to good people. Uh, we know that because of Jesus. Jesus was mm -hmm. righteous, holy, perfectly did the will of God, and yet look what happened. But out of that comes grace and mercy. So Scripture never encourages victimhood, which is the nourishing of resentment, grounded in the desire to erase someone. Mm -hmm. That's what we got going on nationwide in a sense today. Uh, when I was teaching in public schools, one of the things I heard as a phrase which struck me and stick with me ever since is uh, I would see kids arguing about something, and one of them would finally say, forget you, forget you. <laughs> and it was like, you are now out of my memory, That's I'm right. erasing you. You're shunned, you're yeah, gone. You're yeah. gone, yeah. yeah. Uh, we must remember, Jesus was never a victim, but a victor. It was he who said, forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. So nothing is to be erased, but all is to be given a new perspective. This is sound biblical psychology. Evil historic memories cannot be erased, but forgiveness changes everything. Listen to this quote from Lewis Smedes. Forgiving does not erase the bitter past. 
A healed memory is not a deleted memory. Instead, forgiving what we cannot forget creates a new way to remember. We change the memory of our past into a hope for our future. As we pray in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Meaning, uh, our forgiveness is dependent upon our forgiving those, first and foremost. So it's important. That's a that's a basic rule of Christian life that seems to be missed by, by many. True. Yeah. True. Uh, and uh, it can be done, you know, as individuals collectively in a nation. You can address the evils of the past in a way that allows a nation to move forward. But, you know, you cannot pick at the scab forever. As is true with individuals, it's true with nations. If every time I got with people who are my fellow Christians and they said, Jim, remember that back what you did back there 10 years ago in that place, you know, do you remember that? And every time we get together, they picked, picked, picked. You can't move forward. It can only lead to disaster. Yeah. You forgive you f- and you move on. So what's the best plan for a guilty nation if indeed that is the topic of discussion? You know, we're guilty. Forgiveness or a continual reminder of its evil past. And what would you like as to your past? You know, forgiveness or a constant reminder of it? Mm. What do you want? What will the future look like in the new heavens and new earth to come? And this is something that astounded me the first time it hit home with me decades, decades, decades ago. What is put before us to remember? In the new heavens and new earth, we're into the last vision part of the book of Revelation, the world to come, Revelation chapter 21, verses 9 through 14. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And then he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels. And on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Amazing. Um, The city is built by God. We learned that in Hebrews 11. He's called the architect, the builder of the city that Abraham was longing for but didn't see in his lifetime. Mm. Uh, Hebrews 13, the writer again says, We need to go outside the city and embrace Jesus and his cross because here we have no continuing city, but we seek the city that is to come. God used fallible people, and yet the city is built by God. It's a paradox. Gates built by God, but to pass through, we will be reminded of those fallible men like Jacob. (laughs) What a career he had. Who are the root of Israel, and of course, those who are the foundation of the church. People like Peter remember all the fallible things he did. we got to remember our roots. Romans 11, 13 through 18. Now I am speaking to you Gentiles, and as much then as I am an apostle of to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean? but life from the dead. If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. 
But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Right. He's mind Gentile believers. Okay, Israel's in a bad place right now. They've been rejected, but they're the root nonetheless. And you wouldn't be where you are if it weren't for them mm. and their lives and God working in them. And so when we come to the beginning, may we say it, of eternity in the book of Revelation, that's what's to be remembered. God's grace and human contributions in history together make a future that's a glorious reality. And by the way, since we're talking about erasing history, is it not astounding that what is written on the walls and on those gates, what's up there, of all the things we thought God could have put up there, it's 12 Jews who are gates and 12 Jews who are the foundations. And who are the people throughout the last 2,000 years who have been beaten down, persecuted, persecuted, killed, holocaust, you name it. Yeah. It's the Jews. So I don't think any anti-Semitic people will soon be entering those gates. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting, just read today, that in France, a recent poll, and you know they have a, con a contingent of Jewish population there, 60% uh, of the children say they have been bullied with the anti-Semitism at the school. And that's been going on for some time in France. So, of course, Christians too, right? Especially in the Eastern Hemisphere, I read the reports on a regular basis, they're daily being erased, martyred in Africa, the Middle East, Myanmar, Asia, China, North Korea. But God remembers. So we remember our bad past to live forgiven in our blessed present, looking for the glory to come. All because our sinful past, by God's grace, is no longer our future. Here's a Psalm 112, verse 6. This is from the NIV, and we conclude with this. Surely the righteous will never be shaken, they will be remembered forever. Well, thanks, Jim. We have a lot to think about, and I'm sure there are questions and comments about it. And we'd like to hear those questions and comments from you. So please send your questions and comments to eventsandexpectations at gmail.com. That's the word events, the word and, and the word expectations at gmail.com. We will use your question or comment on the episode where possible, but we will always answer you. This has been Current Events and Christian Expectations. Until next time, keep looking up.